Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey guys, Nick Burnett here. Just wanted to kind of give some information on why I joined the Patreon, why I'm part of the Dynasty Warzone uh, team. Downloaded the Dynasty Warzone podcast. It took one day to join the Patreon. Reached out to Memphis about a situation with one of my rosters. And the kind of feedback I got was, hey Nick, why don't you give me a call? Uh, we went down my roster and he helped me pull off a couple moves that put me ahead when I thought I was going to be in re- rebuild mode this year. And that's just part of what comes with the Patreon. Uh, just tr- uh, trade talks, just good interaction with guys that love fantasy football. Uh, whether it's 10 o'clock at night or 3 o'clock in the morning, there's always going to be fantasy football talk, whether it's redraft, whether it's dynasty. I joined a couple leagues with the Patreon members, and it's the same thing. Even in, even while we're drafting, we're still shooting ideas at each other. And if that sounds like something that you want to be a part of, pause the podcast now, join the Patreon, and join a, join a great fantasy football group, but more like a fantasy football family. Are you looking for a reminder of your fantasy football greatness? Are you looking for something to set your league apart from those dime a dozen jabroni leagues out there? Then head over to trophysmack.com and hook your league up with the best trophies in the game today. And not only will you get the best trophies in the game today, you can get a free championship ring up to a $59.99 value by entering in the promo code DWZ ring. You pick out your trophy. Which one do you like? You put it in the cart. You add the ring to the cart. You add the promo code DWZ ring. Makes the ring free. And your league is now a step above the league down the street. So if you're looking for the best, you want to be the best in the game, you want to have the best league in town, go over to trophysmack.com, get that trophy, get that ring, use that code DWZ ring. And let's have a big season. What's happening, everybody? Happy Friday, and welcome to the Dynasty War Zone, the Peep Dynasty Podcast. And on today's show, we are getting back into the fantasy football super system. This week, we're going to do a chapter on best ball with Mr. Josh Larkey of Roto Underworld and Player Profiler. He is going to jump in. He's going to give us a ton of tips on how to draft and strategize our best ball rosters. He's going to give us some promos to use over on underdog fantasy which i found out is his preferred method of playing best ball so all of that will be in the body of the show and i'm really looking forward to continuing this super system series we've got some idp coming up we've got some one qb we've got some redraft Uh, we've got three or four more of these to get us through the month of june and into july and that's why i chose best ball for this week What a better time to play best ball than June. You know, you're coming out of May, rookie season for the most part's wrapping up. 
you know, startup season wrapping up. It's not early at that So what do you got for June and July? You've got best ball. So what do I got for you? I've got Josh Larkey, and he's going to break a lot of best ball goodness down for you. We'll get Josh here in just a second. I uh, just want to thank you guys. Five-star reviews. Got a ton of them. New YouTube subscribers, a ton of them. And thank you guys for the support. It means the world to me, and I'll speak for Jerry and all the other content providers here at the DWZ. When you guys hit pause and you go into your podcast player, and I'm going to cuss Apple here in just a minute, so if you want to hear one of my famous Memphis rants, stick around for a second. But I want to thank you guys for going in, rating, reviewing, subscribing everywhere on social media, YouTube, podcast. It just means a ton. we got a lot of good stuff coming up for you. On the YouTube channel, I will start doing some shorts, some shorter videos, maybe 5, 10, 15 minutes. So we'll be doing more with the YouTube soon, as well as the Sunday live show. If you've ever wanted to get questions answered by me and the gang, it's going to be on YouTube, and it's going to be on Sundays this fall. Uh, be sure to check us out on social media. Again, I'm at DWZ Memphis. The show is at Dynasty Warzone, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you need to email us because you don't do social media, that's cool. It's dynastywarzone at gmail.com. And I've had one person reach out. If you're interested in helping us with social media, maybe you're a social media savant. Man, we, we would love an intern to help us with some, some social media marketing. So hit me up at DWZ Memphis or email me dynastywarzone at gmail if you're interested. So now, let me dog cuss the folks over at Apple. Now, I like Apple. Apple makes a damn good product. I love their phone. Um, I'm on my third or fourth iPhone as we speak. No issues. Been great. I'm not some crotchety old bitch that whenever they do an iOS update, don't really care. Typically figured out, but they've, they've, they've burned a bridge too many. If you haven't updated, I think it's version 14.05 or 14.5, whatever the fuck they did is the new podcast player. I've been listening to podcasts religiously for about the last eight years. Apple's been great, man. Apple is super awesome. Uh, I like the way they, they curated them. Now, you can't find a goddamn thing. I can't find shit on iTunes. You used to automatically download a bunch of shows. I used to automatically download the Dream Preview with RJ Bell. I used to download Straight Out of Vegas. I used to download Roto Underworld. I used to download a lot of podcasts. And now... I'm like, what the what the fuck? It's it's Friday. It used to be Thursday, but now it's, it's Friday. Where the hell is the dream preview? I listen to it every week with RJ and AJ and Fez and and all the guys over at the dream preview. And and now I have to go in and like manually download. Get the fuck out of here, Apple. You're fucking killing us. So if you missed our show, if you missed our show on Wednesday, so what happened? Spotify, no issues. Stitcher no issues. Podbean, no issues. Google Play, iHeartRadio, no issues, no issues, no issues. For whatever reason, Apple renamed the show the same as the episode with Ryan McDowell. They reacted very quickly. We got it fixed. So if you missed Wednesday's show where we were talking about some OTA news, we jumped into the Julio trade, we jumped into Aaron Rodgers, we talked about some just you know random stuff as it's kind of a slow time of the year, and I knew I had Josh coming on with me today. You know, you can go back to Wednesday's show. It was episode 305, and then episode 306 was Dallas. That's Dallas Hyder at Salad Galore. That's Dallas backwards. Salad Galore on Twitter. 
he did his first installment of the Oklahoma drill. He compared Kadarius Tony and Rondale Moore. Very interesting show, a little bit shorter than the normal podcast here at the DWZ. It's about 30 minutes, and it's a really good show. And Dallas is doing a really good job, so please support him and follow him everywhere. So, man, that is what I got for you guys. You guys are the best. You know I think you're the best. And just wanted to get this show out with Josh. I don't have a whole lot else to say other than check out the patron, patreon.com forward slash Dynasty Warzone. I mean, if you love fantasy football more than your friends, come hang out with me and my friends, all my friends over at the Patreon at patreon.com. Do you have a group chat that's not very good? It's dry. Maybe you get one message a month and you want to be more active and you want to talk football all the time. Like we're in June. It's supposed to be dead. In today's group chat, well over 150 messages. So if you're an active social media person and you like talking football, we might have a group just for you. You know, it's a great community with great people. And what's it going to cost you? It's going to cost you a dollar twenty-five a week. Now we don't do weekly installments, but for five bucks, five bucks for for an entire month, you can be a patron over at the Dynasty Warzone Patreon. Why five bucks? You get the group chat. I do a bonus podcast every week. Uh, I'll do one-on-one consultations with you. I'll help you out. It's not about the money. It's about making sure that you're serious and you want to be part of a community and that you really, truly want to get better. So it's giving you value and it's giving you a lot of volume for your fantasy dollar when you support us over at patreon.com forward slash Dynasty Warzone. So I am going to go grab Josh, but you know what time it is. If you didn't watch this particular video on YouTube on Wednesday night when we streamed it live, I actually brought my new goat shorts from hate brand goods i actually physically brought them now i didn't wear them i had them folded neatly on my desk and i held them up for the camera this is the mexican blanket pattern they recently restocked it after about a year and a half hiatus the hate brand goods guys they they make small batch stuff and when it's gone it's gone the occasional restock but you just need to head over to the website that's the hvii.com thehate.com and check it out if you see anything you like, you just use promo code Memphis, M-E-M-P-H-I-S, Memphis at checkout, and that'll save you some bucks. So check them out. You like something. They've got accessories. Father's Day is around the corner. You know, if you are a father and you want your family to get you something cool and unique, if you have a father that's into activity and you want your dad to look a little bit more fresh, this is the spot to go. So thehviii.com, promo code Memphis. Let's hear from Matt, and then, most importantly, let's hear from Josh. You guys have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you soon. Tell us a little bit about Hate Brand. When did that start, and uh, how are things going with it? Things are good, man. Uh, That started in October of 2014, so now, give or take seven years into doing whatever this thing is. And um, that's an apparel company I started then and wanted to start making some clothes that I wanted to wear is really where it started. It start, and, uh, did it start more with you writing something first? Like, yeah, you, like yeah. uh, was it like an ebook or something that you put out or? Yeah, it's a, uh, it's a book. And then we made an ebook. So I wrote a book in 2010 of uh, how to train for the Highland games called training lab. And one of the sections I wrote about in the book is called the hate. And this was just this kind of personal philosophy I had that my brother and I had spoke about, um, just with athletes that we admired. And it was these guys that just, you know, still on top, still, still willing to do the work to get better, that it seemed their concern was always about them getting better to their standard and mm. not about what had to do with anyone else. So they didn't hate and other it was people. This idea that you, 
you see those guys get up in the morning on like 4 a.m. and it's, yo, that dude hates himself more than me. That guy's <laughs> willing to put in the work. He's willing to do it. And so from that point on, it was about like, I'm all right with getting beaten by someone better than me, but I'm not willing to be outworked. All right, and as promised, here is my best ball guru. He is the director of analytics over at Roto Underworld. He is the driving force behind a lot of the projections you see in Roto Underworld's world-famous and world-famous, as always, in quotes, draft kit. He is the code breaker as the, co- as the host of Roto Underworld's The Code Breaker podcast. He will soon be breaking necks and cashing checks when drafting best ball rosters over at Underdog. And I will say one last thing. Do not come weak if you are an analyst in the Twitter streets. This guy will be there asking you questions. You will have to defend any haphazard, arbitrary, narrative-based takes because Josh is having none of it. If you haven't guessed already, my my guest this evening is none other than Mr. Josh Larkey. You can find him on Twitter at JLarkeyTweets. Josh, thanks for joining me, man. Thanks for having me. I'm excited for this. What an intro. So hopefully I'll I'll live up to that billing. We'll see what happens. Well, if anyone's been following you for any length of time, um, and I've been doing this long enough, uh, June is the the third year anniversary that Jerry and I have been doing the Dynasty Warzone. We're adding some other shows. Early congratulations. Thank you. And I don't say anything I don't mean. I don't have to. But I truly believe that you are one of the best best ball analysts out there. I don't, I, I, and I know other people have their opinion. Everyone has their favorites, but I think that universally, by no later than the start of the 2023 season, with your full time position and a director position, is nothing to sneeze at. No matter what, what the company, a director position is very impressive, and I think you'll be the the foremost expert in this field. So that's why I wanted you on to talk best ball with our audience. Thanks. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I, I, I really got into best ball last year, had quite a bit of success with it. And then it was kind of nice being able to transition full time into the, the fantasy world, because let me tell you, I do a lot of drafting. So it's fun to be able to do anywhere from, I'd say like two to six, two to seven best ball drafts every single day. So uh, I, I, we're, we're going to get into some there. of the numbers that, that you do in, in, in just a minute. But you've been involved in analytics for a long time. Now, correct me if I'm wrong. You worked for a little while with a Major League Baseball franchise in their analytics department. Yes, I, I worked previously for the Detroit Tigers and the San Diego Padres. The, the Tigers, uh, I was an analytics intern on the baseball side. And they didn't have the budget to hire uh, me and a couple other analytics interns after the season. That was a lot of fun. Moved back home from Detroit to San Diego. Worked for the Padres uh, on the business analytics side, doing things like attendance projections, customer journeys, the lifetime value of our season ticket holders. So of course COVID hit. And it turns out that if there's zero butts in seats, uh, my attendance modeling, that type of work just wasn't really needed. Ended up getting furloughed and fired, which was perfect because I'd been working for player profiler and Matt Kelly or the pod father, as some of you may know him. I'd been working with him on the side for about two years at that point, just kind of a weekend warrior doing projects for him. So was able to kind of transition and step up and do that full time. So blessing in disguise because I love what I'm doing right now. So it's a little, it's a little bit better uh, on this side of it versus the, the team side of things. So I would recommend the team side to anyone interested, but uh, yeah, this is it's a little more flexible. I have a little more creativity with the work I do, so prefer it a little bit. 
Uh, I promise all the listeners we are going to get to the football talk. I promise you guys know how I like to talk about other stuff. Uh, for Maybe you don't know, you've not seen, but my son's a travel baseball player. I love baseball. Now, football is my passion, mm-hmm. um, but as my son gets more and more into the game, so I just want to ask you one last baseball question. Yeah, what, as what position pitch, does he play? He plays center field, left field, and he pitches. Nice. Um, and, yeah, you know, he's, he's taken it seriously for the last two years, um, and, and he's doing good, man. But I wanted to ask you an analytics question. Where are you at with this? It's like it feels like everything has to be a, a home run and strikeouts are okay. I came up I'm a little bit older. Came up in the era where you know, you know, you stole bases, you advanced the runner, and now you have like these crazy shifts. Where are you at with how baseball's played today versus even twenty years ago? So just aesthetically, I do prefer how baseball used to be played in some ways. Uh, the one thing that I love is I love the home runs. I don't think there's anything more exciting in any sport. Football is my favorite sport to watch, but I think when you're actually live at a baseball game and you see a home run in person and you see a wooden ball or a wooden bat hit a ball, 400, 450 feet, there's no, there's nothing like it. But I'd say that just overall the, the casual fan. And if I catch a baseball game, I do enjoy when the ball's in play, but, uh, what I kind of think should be done is that if you want to disincentivize the the home run strikeouts and walks that have started to characterize baseball and you want more stolen bases, then you have to change the rules a little bit. So one thing that I know baseball has been working on is actually enlarging the bases because if you make the bases a little bit bigger, it actually makes it easier to steal bases when there's less distance between them. So I think different rules like that can be kind of uh, incorporated where it doesn't necessarily affect too much about the game, but it's kind of on the margins. Now there's a few more stolen bases. And I think doing that type of stuff is what baseball could and should be doing going forward. That way they can kind of restore a little bit of balance, but I don't, I don't mind the home runs. I'll say that much. I can't get enough of those. So I think it's more just like the walks and strikeouts. We need to figure out how to tone that down, increase the stolen bases. So I'm with you there. I remember the classic, uh, I think it was ESPN or Nike or somebody, it was the classic Chicks Dig the Long Ball commercial with Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa back in the day. So I'm going to save some of your infamous Twitter interactions here toward the end. But uh, for those of our guests that don't know, now I'm not a big best ball guy. My co-host Jerry plays a little bit, uh, Tyler and Lou, the two guys who are going to be doing our DFS show this coming fall. They, they play some some uh, best ball, but I really don't. But for those that aren't really big best ball players, how would you best describe best ball to maybe a novice or maybe even a a non-starter? The way that I sell people on best ball and kind of get them excited as to why it's my favorite format right now is, do you like to draft? Because if you like to, if you like the aspect and the actual act of drafting, you're going to love best ball. Essentially, for best ball, you draft a team. And that is it. You are done. You don't have to worry about that team until the end of the season when you see how many points you've scored. Essentially, just like your your typical redraft league where it's like a, you might have one where it's like start a quarterback, two running backs, three receivers, a tight end, and a flex. So each week in that league, you actually choose who your quarterback, the two running backs, three receivers are, etc. You make those decisions as to who gets started. In best ball, you just draft a team with enough players at each position. And then week one comes along, everyone scores their fantasy points and your best ball roster is automatically optimized. So if you have two quarterbacks on your team 
Whichever quarterback scores more points, that's your starting quarterback. If you have seven receivers and uh, three of them get touchdowns in 100 yards, that's awesome. Those three receivers enter your lineup. So the idea is that there's no weekly waivers, there's no trades, there's no setting a lineup, and that you just draft a team, and then at the end of the year, if it does well, you make money. So I love strategizing the draft and just being in draft after draft after draft. So best balls for drafters. If you enjoy that, I think it's an incredible format. No, I am in a dynasty best ball with guys like John Bosch, Heath Cummings of CBS Sports, and I do like the you don't have to mess with it. There are because if you're in more, if you're in double digit leagues of where you have to set a roster, on Sunday mornings become very taxing very they quickly do. because it, it becomes. A, last year, I had to create a system for setting for setting rosters. So on literally on Wednesday or Tuesday, whatever day your your roster's unlocked, I would go ahead and set them. And then I would double check them on Saturday based on the injury report. And then based on, and it becomes a part-time job in and of itself. And that becomes the fun of best ball. If, if you think of the golf, if you've ever played in a golf tournament, a best ball golf tournament, everybody hits a drive, you play the best drive. Everybody hits an approach shot, you play the best approach shot. Everybody putts, etc. This is the exact same thing. If you've got three quarterbacks, whoever scores the most is the quarterback that scores for your roster. Now, I'm making it sound much more simple than it really is. I've heard Josh, I've heard Josh and Matt talk about best ball, best ball strategy. Before we get into your draft kit and some stuff like that, do you have a preferred destination that you like to play best ball? Like I said, I, we are not affiliated with a with a best ball sponsor, so feel free to tell us where you play, uh, if you're sponsored by anybody, etc. Sure. So we are actually sponsored by Underdog Fantasy. I would strongly recommend it. I think just in terms of drafting, it has the best, most aesthetic interface. It's super easy to use. It's easy to sign up. It's a company with uh, a lot of really sharp people invested into it. So Mark Cuban's actually an investor. So there's a ton of people at the top that have really bought into this and truly believe it's the next big platform. We at Roto Underworld and Player Profiler agree. So can't recommend Underdog enough. I have... I guess that we'll get to that in, in a minute or two as to how many drafts I've actually done this year so far, but promo code underworld will get you 25 free dollars and their flagship tournament where you can win a million dollars for first place. That tournament is a $25 entry. So essentially you're giving yourself a $1 million potential lottery ticket when you sign up. So yeah, promo code underworld on underdog fantasy. And guys, that just puts money back into the, the fantasy football industry. It allows for more full-time positions like the one that Josh has, former guest of the show, Cody Carpentier. It's, it's a great way to support those that are putting out a lot of great content. And I don't want to make it sound like underdogs the best because I've never really dabbled, but I, I've been in this industry for a while. And I remember hearing things like MFL 10s, the FFPC was doing best ball. And it kind of feels like if you're on Twitter, that and I live in the state of Indiana, where gambling and sports betting and fantasy football everything's legal. So I see a lot of it here. It just feels like, again, with the power of backers like Mark Cuban, other investors, it just kind of feels like Underdog has like swooped in and really become in a very short amount of time the flagship brand of best ball. And I, I, you don't do that unless you provide a good customer interaction. Yeah, one hundred percent. I think what Underdog really nailed. And uh, if you kind of think about 
all these, there's so many new platforms that you hear about every single year you hear like, Oh, someone's advertising this platform or, Oh, I heard this is starting up. The big thing with all these platforms is customer acquisition. Just from a business sense, you need a huge customer base. The reason that a DraftKings and a FanDuel are just kind of locked and loaded for eternity is they have massive customer bases that are paid and they're loyal to every year. I know I'm going to bet, I'm going to, put at least this much money into DraftKings and FanDuel. And Underdog realizes that customer acquisition is huge. So that's part of the aggressive push on their end since they only started up last year. But in order to actually retain customers once you've gotten them, you actually have to have a good platform. So I think that Underdog does both really well where they have a lot of really strategic partnerships in place and it's just a, a good experience when you're drafting. But that can help just all the listeners out there when you see these new companies and you're like, how come they're giving me all this free money when I deposit? Is this a scam? If I'm giving them, if they're just going to give me $25 when I put in 25, the answer is no, you're so important to them. And they want to basically prove like we are the platform, trust us. And I think underdog does the best job at that, where once you start, it's really tough to stop. It's a lot of fun. I would agree. And like I said, I'm an Indiana resident. We do a gambling show. We do a player prop show and everybody is advertising. It's MGM, it's FanDuel, it's all these things. But the ones that have you keep coming back are the ones that treat you the best. So for Underdog to have been new, yeah, the free promos get you in the door, but the customer service and the product keep you as a customer. So you said you're doing a lot of drafts. How many drafts have you done to date? Now, you just mentioned you may do two to five a day. What are your price ranges? I don't want to know your total financial outlay. Uh, because someone who who knows you and cares may actually hear it and might get worried about you. But how how many drafts are you doing a day? Um, you know, what are your price ranges? What's your min? What's your max? What's your average? Stuff like that. Sure, I can get into the prices. I'm not too worried about that. I, my my dad and I had a really nice sit down conversation the other day. I had I put a little bit of money in Bitcoin a couple of years ago. I don't like Bitcoin. I don't nothing about it. And I was talking to my dad about it because. He's been around and I feel like he's a knowledgeable person. He was like, what the hell are you doing? Do you know anything about this? And I was like, no, I just heard like, I should put a little money in it and see what happens. And he was like, you should always invest in what you're good at. And I do think that I have a unique advantage in this space being full-time and able to do these two to five drafts a day where I know most other people can't do that. And they can't spend all day, every day researching. So to date, I've done around 150 total best ball drafts on underdog. I've done about 60 in the best ball mania and those are $25 entry. I've done about 50 in the rookies and sophomores draft, which is kind of a fun mini tournament where you're only allowed to take rookies and sophomores. So players that entered the NFL last year and this year. So you're creating these awesome teams with like Herbert, Jonathan Taylor, Jamar chase. So I've done about 50 of those. They're $10 a pop. And then they have these really inexpensive, just kind of casual non-tournaments so the, the, the first two were kind of tournaments where there's big prize pools at the top. And then if you just want to enter like a 12-man casual contest with either with some buddies in a private draft or just against the public, I've done around 40 of those and they're 3 to $5. So super low price point there. They have some drafts that are like 100 or $125 for a 12-person. I generally avoid those high stakes 12-person drafts. I'd rather, if I'm going to be putting in more money, do it in a tournament, but they have those as well. So that's kind of where I'm at right now. So I'll probably have three to four times that amount of entries by the end of this summer. So I kind of 
I essentially uh, fund this habit with my, I, I teach R coding on the side to anyone that wants to learn R coding for analytics with football data sets. And that side business, I basically just put 100% of that. I reinvest that into uh, best ball drafts. So, so if you buy that course and you're like, where does this money go? Is he eating a steak dinner? No, I'm just drafting and constantly learning and iterating and trying to make all of the, the draft materials that we put out even better and stronger. And, and that's the thing you mentioned your advantage. I, th- I think a lot of times uh, we'll call them Joe average, you know, Joe average bases, you know, they, they draft based on names. They, they have heard of him, you know, Ezekiel Elliott's very good or, you know, so-and-so was good last year, but what's the biggest mentality shift that, that you think seasonal leaguers, the guy who, who plays in his office league or plays with some buddies from college or his frat um, or even dynasty gamers, which is our primary audience. What is the biggest mm-hmm. mindset that you would help that kind of a player with as, as opposed to the mindset you approach best ball with? So there, there's a couple things. So one of them is, I mean, obviously like, you cannot just draft for name brand players. I, although like I would say like dynasty gamers, I'm sure you have a sharp audience. They probably know that you don't go into a dynasty draft with your 10 favorite players. And you're like, that's who I'm grabbing in round one through 10, regardless of ADP. Like, we all know that if you go into a draft that way, you're going to flub it. And it's going to be embarrassing. The The one big thing that I see is I'll see people where they're like, oh, I'm drafting for upside. Oh, like, blah, like we got to have upside. Oh, like upside, upside. And they're like, man, I'm going to have all these players are going to have so much upside. And every single wide receiver I draft is going to be a speedy deep threat. And they're going to get me 25 points a week because they're going to have a long touchdown. And you know what? Uh, those teams usually don't do very well because – frequently those guys aren't going to give you any points that week. And if all you have is speedy deep threat wide receivers, uh, there's going to be a lot of weeks that you take a zero at one of your wide receiver positions where it turns out like none of them did anything that week. So I think that's one of the big ones is people will hear like, Oh, upside. And they just kind of get the wrong idea. Like at the end of the, at the end of the day, you want to make sure that you have players scoring fantasy points every single week. And that you have to kind of diversify your risk profile where you can't just say like, oh, I'm only grabbing backup running backs that I know like they're run- they're, the starter's going to get injured. So let's grab four backup running backs and then all these deep threat receivers and just imagine if it all hits. Well, it's probably not all going to hit. So you kind of want to minimize some risks while knowing kind of when to maximize your risk, which I can get into later. But uh, another mistake that I see is people don't take the right amount of players at each position. So underdog, they're 18 round drafts and you have to start one quarterback, two running backs, three receivers, a tight end and a flex with 18 roster spots. Generally you want seven to nine wide receivers on that team. And I see a lot of people that will have five wide receivers. And that's one of the things where, I mean, we we all play fantasy. You know that outside of the top few receivers, a lot of them aren't very reliable and that frequently it comes down to who caught a touchdown. So if you only have four or five receivers and you need to start three every week, you're going to take a lot of zero to five point weeks. Whereas even if they're not as good receivers individually, if you have seven, eight, nine of them, you just, you're so much more likely that uh, three of these guys catch a touchdown this week with some yardage. So that's one of the big things is that People don't quite understand how many of each position to take. You'll see people taking four or five tight ends, four or five quarterbacks, 
if you only start one tight end and one quarterback a week, you don't need four to five of them. So there's things like that where right away when I'm drafting, there's usually one to three people in the draft room where automatically they have pretty much based on historical data, like a 0% win rate. And it's like, if five of your 18 spots are dedicated to tight end, I'm sorry, a maximum of two of them can even enter your lineup in the tight end and the flex spot. Like, like what the hell are you doing with the other three tight ends? They're just hanging out in purgatory. So those are the kind of things that uh, newer best ball, I see kind of newer best ball people or people that play a lot and just kind of think they know what to do. And they're like, oh, but this is a good player or this guy was a value. Like no matter how much value you're getting, like you never want to have too many at like a quarterback or tight end position. You always want to have at least generally like seven receivers. So there's things like that that I'll notice. Well, there's a lot of nuance to this because, uh, again, you just a lot of people just go in and, and they think, well, he's the best player available. But there's a true roster constructing aspect of this, and that's the part that I find I find fascinating. If, if there was one thing that would set the hook on me, if I was Big Mouth Billy Bass and, and best ball was going to hook me, it would be that part of it. It would be the drafting because I do love drafting. And it would be the the strategy of about building a. I do I do I have to get in on this million dollar tournament. Even if I, I I don't know that I'll have sixty entries like like you. I'll probably be more of like the one maybe two entry guy. But uh, it, it certainly it certainly sounds like fun. Um, so you you do a lot of the uh, you probably do most of them. Is that correct? The player projections and modeling for the uh, world famous draft kit. Yeah, all those projections that you'll see were my projecting work. And then uh, the two people to shout out would be Matt Kelly and Patrick Murphy Uh, did many, many meetings with them after doing projections where it's basically, they just try and tear them apart and they'll look at all my assumptions with a team's pace of play, their pass to run ratio, the type of playing time and target shares that I'm projecting for guys. And they'll try and tear it apart. And I come to that meeting prepared to defend all my guys And at the end of those meetings, I win some of them and I lose some of them. And I make the adjustments where it turns out that they, they present some ideas to me and play devil's advocate. And I just can't defend myself. And, and when that happens, we adjust the projection. So, uh, yeah, I did all those for the draft kit. It was about a nice two week process of doing nothing, but just surrounding myself with the data. So that's kind of how that process works. Is- you really love numbers. You you love numbers a lot. Now, w- w- one set of numbers I'm curious to see your use of because I use them quite a bit. Now, as soon as the season's over, you automatically, you know who a team's playing the following year. They're going to play their division. They're going to play a certain you know division within their own conference. They're going to play a division within the opposing conference, teams that finished in the same spot in the, in the rankings. And now we have this mm-hmm. weird 17th game. So you know who everyone's going to play. So a lot of times you get some quick data that says this is the strength of schedule based on mm-hmm. last year's opponents, or sorry, this year's opponents' win-loss schedule last year. And then the one that I shift to once Vegas puts mm-hmm. out all of their totals out is the expected strength of schedule. So if you're playing, like I'm a Colts fan, so all the okay. teams that the Colts face, the, the, the Vegas guys will take their projected win totals, and that's their new strength of schedule. Warren Sharp does something like this. Do you use any kind of strength of schedule modeling when you're calculating out projections for your rankings? So I don't actually use strength of schedule when I make the projections. And I'll explain how I incorporate strength of schedule. So when I make projections, I do season-long projections at this stage. And you might say, well, 
well, Josh, you know, for the Colts, like, you know who they're going to play. They're going to play two games against Tennessee. Why don't you project those games? The reason that I don't project individual games this far out is that so much can happen from now until the season starts. And it's also just a dangerous game in my mind to project too small of a sample size. So what I mean by that is let's just say that uh, we're, we're, we're projecting for the Colts. Jonathan Taylor's the running back. We know they're playing the Texans and the Texans run defense is bad. I don't need to tell anybody that we all know it's a horrible run defense. Yeah. I think, was it Taylor? I know Henry ran over them for 200 yards. Taylor might've ran over them for 200 yards last year too. I think one game, I think, I think it was yeah. the second game this season. Yeah. He like, he just destroyed, like everyone destroyed the Texans. So if I'm projecting Jonathan Taylor in that game, like, do I project him for 200 yards? Do I project him for 80, 100? It's really difficult. And I don't even know, like, not everyone had an incredible game against the Texans. There were a few teams where their run game was just okay. And what if I projected Jonathan Taylor for 120 yards and it doesn't happen? And now suddenly I'm in the hole by 60 yards because I messed up. The idea is that, yes, there's probably going to be some of those boom weeks for each player. There's probably going to be some of the some of the bust weeks it's a little bit hard to guarantee these are the weeks that'll happen. It's much easier to use historical data to project season stat lines, which is what I do. And that's going to be a lot more accurate where you're not trying to pick out like these are the specific games where the guy's going to pop. So in our draft kit, we have the projections for season long. Then I also do strength of schedule work. So in our draft kit for each player, you can see their strength of schedule that we calculate for 2021. And where we use strength of schedule partially is in our rankings. So we don't, our rankings are not just purely guys projections. And the reasoning for that is uh, I always like to talk about Tony Pollard's a good example where if, if you think about backup running backs, where if the starter gets injured, Tony Pollard would probably be like a top five running back in fantasy, just like Zeke is when he's healthy. Were anything to happen to Zeke. So I might project Tony Pollard for five or 600 total yards this season, but I probably want to draft him over a random wide receiver three or wide receiver four on another team. That's going to have 500 yards, just like Pollard, because the wide receiver four on a team, like I have Auden Tate projected for, I think 400, 450 receiving yards. Would you ever take Auden Tate over Tony Pollard? Even if they're projected, not even once. No, you would never do that. So the rankings is when I'll incorporate who they're playing, the strength of schedule type stuff. So that's when uh, you can identify, that's when you can start to identify like which teams are really locked and loaded to just completely explode. So like the NFC East this year is fun. So like the Dallas Cowboys are going to face off against the AFC West. Those guys are going to get a little bit of a rankings boost. I mean, the AFC West. The Chiefs, oh, that's going to be a field day for a shootout. The Chargers, that's probably going to be a shootout. That's a high, that's a fast pace of play team. The Raiders defense isn't stopping anybody. So there's things like that where on the margins, then you start to rank players and shift them. So that's where I'll incorporate strength of schedule. Awesome. Well, listen, we're going to get into some news and and some actual players and and get you in some of those spicy takes that you're known for. I'm going to take a minute. And guys, for once, I I talk about our sponsor, Hate Brand Goods, all the time, their athletic wear. Now, I'm never going to stand up and stand on my desk so you can see my shorts. But I got my new shorts in the mail. I got them sitting right here beside me. 
These are the official Mexican blanket shorts. Um, I got those in the mail today. That's from our buddy Matt over at Hate Brand Goods. We'll take a second here from him. All right, and thanks to Matt and the gang at Hate Brand Goods. Remember, if you use the promo code MEMPHIS at checkout, you'll save on your total purchase. And uh, I believe it's still free shipping anytime you order over 100 bucks worth of stuff. So check them out at thehate.com. That's T-H-E-H-V-I-I-I dot com. So, all right, man, let's get into the news of the day. Now, Julio Jones recently traded to the Tennessee Titans. Not great news for my Colts. Not, not the worst news for, for my Colts. But the, the Tennessee Titans picked up Julio Jones. And it was funny. You know, the, the Falcons got a second for, for Marvin, uh, I'm sorry, Mel, uh, Sanu, Muhammad Sanu. And then got a second and a fourth for Julio Jones. But I think the best part for the Falcons is that they made Tennessee pay his entire contract. It wasn't like with Carolina where they paid 70% of Teddy's schedule or uh, salary to get him to Denver. At least they got the full $15 million off the books. So what did that do to your projections? How did that readjust uh, the, the Titans and the Falcons? So the, the biggest winner here was Ryan Tannehill. I mean... Ryan Tannehill now has two of just not even fantasy. If we're just talking real life football and you have to draft a team and we're assuming that Julio is healthy. I mean, Julio and AJ Brown are very likely two of your top five picks. If you're building a squad for one game, if you're, if you just have an exhibition game, like if you're LeBron James and you're playing the Monstars and and you have to have, you're playing the football version of uh, a space jam. Yeah. You're saying you're taking Julio and, and A.J. Brown are likely two of your wide receivers. Yeah, th- those are those have to be two of them. So, I mean, that's incredible for Ryan Tannehill. This is a guy that's been elite with his efficiency the past two seasons with the Titans. And if you think about last year, he did it with Corey Davis and A.J. Brown. Now, A.J. Brown had knee surgery on both knees because apparently he should have had knee surgery during last season but toughed it out. So we're going to have probably a more explosive, healthier A.J. Brown this year. And then, uh, yeah, just we're going to upgrade from Corey Davis to Julio Jones. So, yeah, huge efficiency boost for Ryan Tannehill. I also re-ran some numbers for their pass-to-run ratio. And I do think they're going to be passing more now that they have Julio Jones. That's generally what you see historically. If a team goes out and trades for a bona fide star at a position, they're generally going to adjust their game plan slightly to incorporate them more. I mean, if they didn't want to use Julio Jones, why are they trading for him? We, we know this team's going to pass more. I, it ended up being a slight decrease for Julio and A.J. Brown. I do think they're both going to be very efficient. And I think A.J. Brown's efficiency actually increases with the Julio signing. But I do have a, a target share decline for A.J. Brown. And then Julio moving from the Falcons to the Titans. I mean, the Falcons, every single year, they're top three, top five in pass attempts. And the Titans, they're generally bottom three in pass attempts. So I do think they're going to pass more than last year, but I don't think Julio is going to be able to see the target volume he likely would have seen in Atlanta, even if he has a much higher target share in Tennessee. So slight decrease to Julio and AJ Brown, though nothing crazy. It does nuke Josh Reynolds. I mean, this this wasn't a particularly talented wide receiver. We were just excited about the potential of this random receiver getting a hundred targets from Ryan Tannehill, who's efficient, but yeah, Josh Reynolds probably not going to be on the field nearly as much crushes him. It hurt Anthony Ferkser a decent amount too. 
it's just well, he was going to be the guy I wanted to ask you about. Because you were so good with the numbers off the top of your head. If you're not watching, if you're listening to the podcast on Friday, go back and watch the YouTube video. You'll see Josh is not looking at screens. He's he, I have it pulled up. And the Tennessee Titans in 2020, they ran 1,031 plays and they rushed the ball 50.5% of the times. So 49 and a half, they, they passed the ball 510 times. So, dude, you, you were spot on. Thank you. Yeah. I was going to say, actually, I think Tannehill's pass attempts was like 480. Because I think if you're looking at pass plays, there's going to be like pass interference, things like that. So I think Tannehill actually only had like 480 pass attempts that counted, if I remember correctly, which is even wilder when you look at his efficiency. It was them, it was Baltimore. And Baltimore kind of gets the bad rap of, hey, Baltimore only – but I still think there's enough to go around. I mean, I know everybody was projecting A.J. Brown to get 200 targets – uh, and that might have been necessary, but even if you give 150 to both Julio and AJ Brown, which is a lot for two wide receivers, that's that's still you know what 200 targets left over for the rest of the guys. I still think Anthony Ferkser, I don't think his ceiling's what it was, but I still I, I think it actually works out well for him. There's not the stress of being the number two target in that offense, and I think there's going to be a lot of times where, and I heard a weird stat on Ryan Tannehill that last year. He only attempted 18 passes over 30 yards last year. What the hell happened to Julio wanting a, a quarterback with a big arm? Wow, that's it. That's an awesome pull. I hadn't heard that one. I guess it was, they a, it, was a, it was it was from a PFF. Um, that's cool. I, I, yeah, I, I saw that. Yeah, only 18. That's so one a game. One game over 30 air yards. Uh, uh, 18 on the season. Very very striking stat. That's interesting. Yeah, I think Julio ultimately chose a place where he wanted to win. Because I, what's nice about that division is that it really is just your Colts and the Titans. I mean, the Jaguars and the Texans, they are they are not competing for playoff spots this year. And I think it's actually rare. If you go division by division, most divisions have three teams, maybe even four, where you can realistically see them challenging for a playoff spot. So I think Julio chose well in the sense of he does want to win, and he didn't like that the Falcons didn't seem set up for winning, so... Yeah, not necessarily like the the ultra strong armed quarterback who's hucking and chucking like he wanted, but I think it, just in terms of a, a good opportunity to win, that's that's a great place for him. In that my, sense, my biggest fear with Tennessee, and I was going to ask you this, and we can kind of use this as the transition, is the new offensive coordinator. Obviously, Arthur Smith. Now, Arthur Smith and Julio basically flip flopped. Smith's now in Atlanta, and and Julio's in Tennessee. My, my concern is Todd Downing. And we're going to talk about Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen here in a bit when we talk about Jalen Hurts. But do you have concern with, with Todd Downing? Now, I know he was an internal promotion. He, I guess, spent some time there with Arthur Smith. But the last time Downing was an OC, he was the OC for, uh, uh, oh my God, Amari Cooper and Michael Crabtree in 2017. Now, in 16, under a different OC, both those guys had over 1,000 yards receiving. Under Downey, both those guys had 600 yards receiving, and they both played double-digit games that year. That's my fear, is that this is already a run-heavy offense, and I don't have a lot of faith in this OC. So you can use this specific uh, team or any one. How do you try to calculate in new OCs, especially when it is a like a Todd Downey with a one-year sample size or a Nick Sirianni who has been an offensive coordinator, but it's been mostly with Frank Reich who calls his own plays. Does that make your projections difficult? 
So it, it, it does. I mean, there's no like good straightforward way where it's like, this is exactly how you can handle it. What I generally try and look at is I'll look at their, the pass to run ratio oftentimes, and I'll look at the pace of play. And then I also try and incorporate personnel. So some people were like, oh, Arthur Smith is a, ter- like, that's a terrible hire by the Falcons because look how often he ran. And it's like, all right, well, he had Derrick Henry. I think he's a pretty smart offensive coordinator if he's feeding Derrick Henry of all people. And if you look at the play action rate, constant play action, that's very good. We know analytically that when you fake the handoff, it gets the defense off balance, and you're going to average more yards per attempt on those passes. So there's certain things like that we can do. I don't think the downing sample is quite large enough for me to do too much with it. So I'm kind of flying blind in that sense. And what I'm what I'm more looking at is that this is a, this is a team that has been incredibly efficient under Tannehill for two years now, and I like to think more of that was Tannehill than anyone else. In that his career renaissance, yes, I do think Arthur Smith is a talented play caller, but I'll generally defer to the talent in this case when we have a larger sample size of Tannehill being good in Tennessee than of Downing hurting an offense uh, with Oakland. So that's kind of what I would defer to in that sense. Well, I, I, I'm glad you said that. So Tannehill, who I, I was a little down on prior to Julio Jones. So in the last, last 26 games, so since he's been the starter for the Titans, so this is a 26-game sample size, QB rating, Tannehill better than Patrick Mahomes, 111 to 103. Whew. Passing yards. 6,400 for Tannehill, 7,500 for Mahomes. Passing total, I'm sorry, not uh, passing touchdowns, total touchdowns. 66 for Tannehill, 58 for Mahomes. Interceptions, 12 for for Tannehill, 11 for Mahomes. And completion percentage, 67% for Tannehill, 65% for Mahomes. So to say that he's been efficient, so so it's very chicken in the egg. And, And I think a good quarterback, and I think a good... A good offensive coordinator. You ever watched a show Chopped on the Food Network? That is one of the only TV shows I watch. I'm not okay. a TV guy. I literally just watch. That's Food awesome. Network, so, so, so we're, yes. we're, 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 you're going to get this analogy. So, a, a, a good offensive mind, because everybody's like, well, Arthur Smith doesn't have his Derrick Henry in Atlanta. I think a good offensive coordinator is like a good chef on Chopped. You literally take the basket of ingredients they give you. And you simply make the best meal you have with the ingredients you have. You didn't get to pick them. You were given a basket. Do your best. And I, and I think we're going to see a much more uh, pass-heavy offense in Atlanta because those are the parts that he has. And I think that you'll continue to see a very efficient offense in Tennessee. Uh, I don't want to buy too much into the one-year sample with uh, with Todd Downey, but it does make me nervous. It does make me a little nervous with that with that. Uh, because he had because Michael Crabtree was was very good receiver. Now he wasn't Julio Jones, and we all know how good Amari Cooper was in you know in coming out of college, and and that was his second year. This is AJ Brown's third year. There's a lot of similarities. Now Derrick Henry isn't as old as Marshawn Lynch was at the time. It's just going to be a fascinating offense. But I, I want to get into another guy that's fascinating because you and I had a little Twitter interaction on this gent, and it is Mister Jalen Hurts. Now, you are the Jalen Hurts truther of all truthers. And when you projected him, why don't you tell the audience, if you have him off the top of your head, you can round. Uh, what do you have him projected for as a starter in 2021? 
So I don't remember like the exact aggregate numbers. I want to say I had him projected, I think just under 4,000 passing yards. And I remember like 38 and change, 3,800 and change. The one I remember is I haven't projected a touch over a thousand. It was like a thousand twenty rushing yards, something like that. And what I want to remind everyone is that these projections that I'm pumping out, we are now in a 17 game season for 2021. So some of the numbers might look slightly inflated and you're like, wow, that seems a little bit bullish on a guy. And it's like, well, we are projecting an additional game. So with Hertz, I actually didn't project him to be a very good quarterback. I think if Jalen Hurts has the season that I projected for him, the Eagles are going to win four or five games, have a top five pick, and there's a decent chance they take a quarterback to replace him, actually. I kind of projected Jalen Hurts, I think, in many ways, at his efficiency floor. He's under seven yards per attempt, under a 64% completion percentage, when I projected the league average a little over 65%. So there's just a lot of things about his profile that actually are not particularly efficient, a below average passing touchdown rate. There were so many ways that I was throttling him because there's a lot of unknowns. And I mean, he didn't, he wasn't a great passer in his uh, small, like three and a half, four game sample from last year. I do think a lot of that is there was no offensive line. It was just Jalen Rager and Dallas Goddard. Now he has Devonta Smith. Also Goddard wasn't fully healthy. Rager wasn't fully healthy. So there's a lot of things that have changed since then. But ultimately, and I think this kind of goes into the next point where if we're looking at the show sheet, there's the Lamar Jackson conversation and like, what are the parallels there? So I have Jalen Hurts ultimately projected for about 22 fantasy points a game. And that's quite a bit. That's actually the sixth most fantasy points I projected for any quarterback per game. But it's because he's probably going to be running around 10 times a game and quarterbacks that run 10 times a game are such a cheat code. The only other quarterback that I'm projecting to start every game and run more than Jalen hurts is Lamar Jackson. And the best way that I can quantify the upside of a mobile quarterback compared to a pass, like a pocket passer is I do the 5,000 passing yards example. Think about it like this. Everyone out there wants their quarterback to have 5,000 passing yards. And statistically, I don't get it. Why do you care if your fantasy quarterback throws for 5,000 yards? If your quarterback throws for 4,500 yards, they're only getting one fantasy point per game less than the quarterback that threw for 5,000 yards. There's no upside there. Very rarely do you lose a fantasy matchup by one point. Usually you lost by like five, six points. But every single, like every 10 rushing yards, right? right there is a fantasy point. So if I think Jalen Hurts is running 10 times a game for 50 to 60 yards a game, that's five to six fantasy points of rushing yards without even looking at his touchdowns. So already those five to six fantasy points, if those are over a pocket passer, that's a huge advantage if he's getting the rushing yards and the rushing touchdowns, which in most leagues, a passing touchdown is four points and a rushing touchdown six. So there's just so many different ways where uh, Lamar was about 22 and a half fantasy points a game last year. Jalen Hurts a little below that, about 22. Lamar had over 28 in 2019, even though he threw for under 4,000 passing yards that year. So it just shows you like the upside of these mobile quarterbacks where Lamar has the greatest fantasy season of all time, 
as a quarterback and throws for under 4,000 yards. And that's how Jalen Hurts can throw for under 4,000 yards and still deliver in fantasy. And I, I listened to the show, the one I think it was last Thursday or Friday, you did like a two-hour banger with, with Matt on the Roto Underworld feed, and I was ready to poke some holes because I knew we were having this conversation, and you kind of poked some of them yourself. So I went in and did some, some of my own research. And mm-hmm. some of the ways, like you're talking about 22 points a game, and for those listening, you're like, damn, that sounds high. Something that I've always done is, I, 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 there's a technical name for it, maybe you know, it's Olympic-style scoring where you throw out the best score, you throw out the worst score, and you take the average of the rest. And if you do that, would would you do that with Lamar Jackson last year? You throw out his best game, which was 37.8 basic, you know, four-point-per-passing touchdown points, and you throw out his worst, which was 9.3, and you Mm -hmm. average the rest, and it's about 18.7 points a game. So you're only taking that up about 15%, and you're just looking at him being more efficient. Now, the one thing that... Now, mine's more narrative-based. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make sure I, I address this at the beginning because one thing you don't want to be is on the wrong end of a, of a conversation with Josh and if your entire conversation's narrative-based. But I do believe Lamar Jackson-esque can be his ceiling, but I do believe his floor can be Tim Tebow. And Tim, Tim Tebow also had a very short end-of-the-year sample, and I went back and compared them, and this blew me away. Tim Tebow okay. aver- averaged more yards per rush he had more rushing touchdowns. He had more air yards per attempt, and he had more uh, uh, yards per attempt and air yards per attempt. They were both 52 and 50% completion quarterbacks. They kind of caught the league off by, by storm. They're both known for their hard work and being great guys. They both played in the SEC. Um, I, I just see that being the floor. I see your Tim T, and you address some of that. Now, now for this one year, I think you're spot on. I, th- I think he mm-hmm. could have a tremendously awesome statistical 2021 and still lose his job, a la Jameis Winston, next year because they've got the Colts' first-round pick more than likely. If Carson Wentz works out at all, they're going to get the Colts first. They got a, a first from the Dolphins for trading back from 6 to 12. And they have their own first. So they're going to have three first. Maybe they go get a, a Deshaun Watson if his legal troubles blow over. Maybe they trade up in the draft to get their guy. So you actually did a great job of talking about some of the pitfalls of Jalen Hurts when you were talking with Matt from a dynasty standpoint. For those that didn't hear that conversation, would you mind recapping some of the things about him that make you nervous, especially the first you know month of the season? Sure. So... Uh, the the debate that Matt and I were talking about was in Dynasty Hurts versus Lamar because Lamar isn't a great passer by many metrics. Uh, we saw him at the Pro Bowl, I think it was two years ago, when he was trying to throw passes through the hoops and he was missing by like 15 feet on like these 30-foot throws. And it was just horrendous. And he kind of looked like he was drunk out there with how badly he was missing basic throws. Lamar is not the type of arm talent that Hertz is. But the risk with Hertz is let's just say that Lamar, another mobile quarterback who might or probably isn't necessarily like an upper echelon passer himself, probably below average as a pure passer. If Lamar has a bad month, he has a bad month. He's still starting game five. If Hertz has a bad month, they could turn to Joe Flacco and shut him down and say, you know what? This is just embarrassing. We're going to grab a quarterback in the draft next year and we're going to trade you. And we need, we need you to have as much trade value as possible. You're shut down 
And Hertz never starts a game again for the rest of his career. The other issue is that he has a phenomenal fantasy season. He gets you 20 something fantasy points per game, but his actual passing stats are not very good. And they have a top five pick and take a quarterback. So those are kind of the two issues that I see with Hertz and dynasty. I am bullish on him in dynasty. I think that he can do it. And as you were talking about the, the, the Tim Tebow thing. So I, I pulled up Jalen Hurts player profiler page. And I think that there's this one misconception where he's not a good passer. And yes, in those three and a half games last year, he wasn't a good passer. Bad completion percentage. The yards per attempt was weak. Nothing was good, but he had no reps in training camp because they were all going to Carson Wentz. He came in towards the end of the season out of nowhere on a team with a ransacked offensive line throwing to, I mean, one of his top targets was Greg Ward, who was a practice squad receiver on every other team except like the, the 2020 New England Patriots, basically. We actually jokingly said that Greg Ward got paid by the hour. When, when, he, were, when, he, when he played for Philadelphia, he actually had to clock in at the stadium, but he clocked out and he got like a ham sandwich. We also call the, we also call the guys that he was playing with, we call them crumb bums and shoe clerks. That's what, that's what he was working with. I will, I will give you that because in Tim Tebow's sample, he was working with, uh, Eric Decker and Demarius Thomas. So he was working with a little bit of, so in, in all fairness, from, from the point that I wanted to bring up, he was not working with the best of the best. Mm-hmm. No, I think the Tim Tebow point's good because I think it's a good one to try and uh, break down what the similarities are and what the differences are. And one more difference is that Jalen Hurts was an elite quarterback in college. So I'm looking at his player profiler page right now. Jalen Hurts' college QBR was 94th percentile for a quarterback. His college yards per attempt was 98th percentile. He had a 100th percentile breakout age with an incredible season at age 18. So Jalen Hurts was a stud when he was given the opportunity to start in college as a passer. We're not even looking much at his rushing yards. When you, when you have a 98th percentile yards per attempt, you have to be a good pure passer to some extent. So there's a longer, there's a, there's a longer track record and a bigger sample of Jalen Hurts being a good passer than a bad passer because we have his whole college career where he started more than three games because he's only really started like three, three and a half NFL games. So we have a bigger sample of Hertz being a good quarterback than a bad one. So I think that's the other thing to take into account here is that Tim Tebow wasn't necessarily an incredible college quarterback purely with passing. So that's what we have to remember when comparing the two. Very fair. And the other thing that you talked about was the, the getting off to a slow start. And Philadelphia does have a tough start to the season. They're at Atlanta. Now, that's a game they could certainly win or at least stay close in. But then they have the Niners. They have they have to go to the Cowboys in prime time. Then they, then they host the Chiefs. They have the Panthers, and I think the Panthers will be better. Then they play the world champion Bucks. So their first five, six games is pretty tough. And if that team goes one and five, two and four, you know, two and five, this is a team, and this is what happens when poor decision-making is rewarded. So if you remember the game, the final game of the season, what did they do? They benched Jalen Hurts to, if you're not watching on YouTube, you're just hearing the, the, the podcast, air quotes. They wanted to see what they had in Nate Sudfeld. And they made, they, 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 well, it was unbelievable, but the scary part is, is they made a bad decision, but they were positively rewarded for it. Instead of getting the 11th overall pick by winning that game, they got the 6th overall pick by 
seeing what they had in Nate Sudfeld. And that's also part of my fear, fear, especially from Dynasty standpoint. Like you said, if they start tanking or seeing what they have with Joe Flacco, man, especially for now, if you drafted him last year, and I will give Roto Underworld all the credit in the world, they were the, the front runners. And hey, get Jalen Hurts, get Jalen Hurts. And if you got him dirt cheap last year, your investment's minimal. So if it doesn't work out, at least you don't get crippled. But if you're doing startups right now and you're taking Jalen Hurts in a super flex startup around the ones that I've done, I've seen around like the, the middle to back end of round two, top end of round three, that's the kind of thing that would set a dynasty roster back a hair if this does not work out. Oh, 100%. Yeah, he's a, he's a super risky dynasty asset. We have him priced fairly highly. In, if you're looking on our dynasty rankings at player profiler and seeing what his lifetime value is, it is fairly high. But it is one of the most volatile uh, lifetime values that we have. And if we were guaranteed Jalen Hurts was starting 16, 17 games a year for the next five seasons, he would be like a, a top three, top four dynasty quarterback. You have to have the guy that's going to be starting every single game rushing 10 times a game. Like we've seen, we've seen this before. You don't have to – Lamar Jackson is not putting up crazy passing numbers. You can throw for 3,500 passing yards and be a, a QB1 or the QB1 in fantasy. But Jalen Hurts could also be nothing. And we're betting that he's something and that it's a much more likely outcome that just like the Eagles did this year, that even though we think they're probably going to get a high pick next year, that they either trade back or use that pick on uh, a left tackle that's going to help him out long run or uh, – other types of really premium positions that'll help the team overall. Maybe they get an edge, like a, a premium edge rusher. So there's things like that where we do believe that he is a good quarterback. He was a good one in college. And that ultimately we're rolling the dice with him, knowing that statistically there's there's a better than not chance that what we have is is a fantasy gold mine. So that's the the case for Jalen Hurts, is that it's an incredibly risky one, but if you want the probably the riskiest quarterback asset. That's the one to have who has the maximum upside. It, the the Jalen Hurts from a dynasty standpoint, those GMs are going to get the same sweat that James Robinson GMs had from, from the end of oh, January. Yes. They're going to have the same sweat because they will have the draft capital to make a move on a Deshaun Watson or another premium. So it's going to be a fascinating year. Um, I appreciate your professionalism talking Jalen Hurts and, and, and talking me through it. So we're going to go on a high note. Let's take this one in on a high note. Give me the Josh Larkey I have to have. I cannot leave my best ball draft without. I'll even maybe draft him a little bit ahead of consensus guy. And no, it can't be Jalen Hurts, for the record. You have to pick someone not named Jalen Hurts. Who is your go-to? Who are you not leaving best ball drafts without? You have to have Brian Edwards. This is a guy that's going around 15, 16, 17, 18, in best ball drafts that go beyond that, he's going like round 20 sometimes. This is a guy you have to have. Are we certain that Henry Ruggs or John Brown is the top receiver in Las Vegas? Because I'm certainly not. You know Darren Waller is going to lead the team in targets, but we know that the, the second chair there is incredibly fruitful for fantasy. I mean, we saw Nelson Aguilar come out of nowhere and become fantasy relevant again. Derek Carr is a pretty good quarterback. He's accurate. And I know everyone gives him a lot of flack for not throwing the ball deep, but hey, 
Aguilar was averaging like 17 or 18 yards per reception last year. This was a deep threat who was frequently getting targeted. Brian Edwards looks like an, a true alpha wide receiver. He's 6'2", 6'3", 215 pounds. This is a guy where before he turned 18 was dominating in college playing alongside Debo Samuel. This is a guy at 6'2", 215 that was on special teams taking punt returns in college. They wanted the ball in his hands in space, even though this was a big bodied receiver. I mean, we all know the special teams guys. It looks like Tyreek Hill, Deontay Harris of the Saints. The best special teamers are usually these tiny shifty guys. No, no, no. Brian Edwards can do that. This guy is elusive. And I really believe that he's the most qualified guy on their depth chart right now to seize that wide open alpha wide receiver one chair. And to think that he's going five to eight rounds after Henry Ruggs, who face planted and couldn't command more than 45 targets as a first round rookie pick. Oh, give me Brian Edwards. I love that. I do a little uh, number checking. The Oakland Raiders attempted 580 pass attempts last year. So there's more than enough for Darren Waller to get 160, mm-hmm. 170. That would be 10 a game for a tight end, which would be astronomical. And there's still, that would still leave 400 total pass attempts. And I know that t- vacated targets and targets in general aren't necessarily the stickiest of stats. But And one last thing, did, didn't Brian Edwards have an ACL or a PCL or some sort of a knee issue in college, which basically forced him to go back for his senior year, and he'll be one year further removed from that knee injury? Because that feels right. Yeah, I don't remember exactly his injury timeline. I do remember, I read a couple reports, and many teams had a first-round grade on Brian Edwards And the reason he fell to round three was just the injury concerns. He didn't take part in the combine and it did hamstring him a little bit. His rookie year. Actually, if you look at the game logs in the second and third games of 2020, the second and third games ever for Brian Edwards, he had the second most receiving yards on the team in game two. And then he had the second most receiving yards on the team in game three. And then he got injured and then wasn't the same for the rest of the season. And when he came back, He wasn't as high on the pecking order for targets, but this is a guy that they wanted to be their number one wide receiver. Aguilar emerged after Edwards got injured. Edwards was groomed to be their number one receiver. They wanted this guy to be out there. He was running a lot of routes. This, this was their future. So I truly believe that with a healthy training camp, I mean, if you just look at the pictures, like the dude's freaking yoked, this is a six two two fifteen monster. Like this, This is not a a flabby looking guy. He looks incredibly huge. When you watch him on tape, he's explosive. And I agree, like vacated targets, there's only so much to that. Usually the good players get them. I think Brian Edwards is a really good player. So I think he's going to be the guy that gets the second most targets this year in that offense. And your recall is amazing. I'm I'm looking at, I'm using uh, football guys and I'm looking at snap percentage. He played 75, 61, 41 percentage of snaps. Those first three games obviously got hurt. Then he didn't play uh, any snaps four games in a row, then played one snap, so basically five games. And then you're right, he came back, played 28%, 15, 30, 19. Never cracked 35% the rest of the way. But you know who's gone? Exactly who you said, Nelson Aguilar. Nelson Aguilar played 731 snaps. And all of those snaps are gone. Brian Edwards will be on the field more. Now, we can't audit. And I think that's something that 
Like, I love the way that you go about your projections. You just don't automatically just, like, smooth it over like spackle or, like, you know, cake icing <laughs> and just spread it all over to this guy. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to look at – I try to do it by a percentage. Hey, if there's this many vacated targets, how many could I see this guy getting of that mm-hmm. piece of that pie? If that vacated targets is 400, realistically, how many can we paint – on this other guy. That's kind of how I look at it. But I tell you what, Josh, I really appreciate you jumping on with me tonight, taking some time. I know for you, for those that don't know, we're recording this from about 9 to 10 Eastern. This is the middle of his evening. This is supper time for Josh out there in San Diego. So I really appreciate you jumping on, man. Yeah, thanks for having me. This was awesome. No problem. Man. T- t- take us through the t- take us through all the good stuff. Take us about the promo with Underdog again because I didn't write it down, but I'm gonna write it down now. We call that a writer downer. Get your pen. We're gonna write down the Underworld <laughs> promo and then everything you got going on. Sure. So head over to Underdog Fantasy if you haven't played before. When you do the the, the deposit process at the very end, it'll say do you have a coupon or promo code. Promo code Underworld, all one word. And that'll get you a $25 entry into their $1 million to first place flagship best ball mania tournament. So incredibly excited. Just throw in $25 of your own cash. You get $25 into a tournament entry. So really you could have two tournament entries for the price of one. If you want, you can find me on Twitter at J Larky tweets, J L A R K Y tweets. And That's probably the best way to keep up with what I'm doing. I post quite a bit there just to keep everyone informed on my process. Uh, Done a lot of work kind of iterating and uh, revising projections the past week. I have a a best ball tournament strategy article that I'm working on because currently my best ball strategy guide that we have up on the site is more catered to 12-person leagues rather than if you're in a large field tournament. So working on that right now and then also... We have two analytics interns for the first time ever. Incredibly exciting. So Neil and Michael are new analytics interns, working with them quite a bit right now over the summer. And they're going to be putting out some incredible content because the, the future is bright. And I mean, man, these these incoming college seniors, they, they make me look really bad when I think about what I was doing when I was uh, getting ready for my college senior year. So a lot of really exciting stuff on the horizon. And then get the world famous, in quotes, world famous draft kit on playerprofiler.com. You'll get my projections. You'll get our team insights and trends. There are so many goodies there. You get downloadable cheat sheets that you can upload to Underdog to get our rankings in the draft room with you. It's amazing. So that's where you can find me. Lots of good stuff. I love creating branding for other people. I think you got to get this. You got to get this on the Roto Underworld YouTube show. I, I want a 10-minute segment, and I want it based around some of your Twitter interactions. Most recently, the one with Mike Tagliere. And I want to call it Getting Snarky with Josh Larky. Because oh. if so, if someone comes weak, if someone comes weak, you you are going to... And you don't do it in a rude way. Because like I said, we debated Lamar. And I'm sorry, and Jalen Hurts and some of the projections. And you, you're very classy. You're asking questions. You're You're poking and... And you're trying to learn and see what the other person's mindset is. But I think I think we're on to content gold. Ten minutes once a week, once every other week. You can use your graphics people, create some like nice graphics. But uh, getting snarky with Josh Larky would be a ten-minute YouTube show that I would not miss. That would be fun. Yeah, for anyone that missed that, essentially, Mike Taglieri of Fantasy Pros 
put out his dynasty lifetime values for each player, which is essentially what we do and what we paywall because it takes hundreds of hours of effort. And I essentially tried to figure out why he had a few players ranked the way he did. Uh, I mean, you have a dynasty audience. You all know dynasty leaguers. If you play in a super flex dynasty league, who's the most valuable player? It's uh, Devontae Adams, Mo- right? Uh, no. <laughs> oh, because Meg Taglieri believes Devontae Adams is the most valuable player in Superflex Dynasty. And if you're following his rankings, then if you had Mahomes, you would trade you would trade away Mahomes plus a second round pick of your own to acquire to have the privilege of Devontae Adams on your dynasty team. So there you know, were a few like that where it's a real head scratcher where you're really bending the historical data and understanding what it takes to have a sustainable winning dynasty roster. If if you're grabbing Devontae Adams or Dalvin Cook even. Dalvin Cook is older than Mahomes, and he's a running back. Yet, according to Mike, you would rather have Dalvin Cook than Patrick Mahomes in Dynasty. And that, in Superflex Dynasty, I mean, what? He has... Listen, man, I'm with you. It was a tough one. I, I, I am totally with you. And first of all, kudos to anybody who takes the time to do rankings. I do rankings. I own, they're, they're behind our paywall. You can only get those at patreon.com forward slash dynasty warzone because they are a pain in the ass. And it, it, it is a lot of work. If, if you're putting your, your, your heart and soul and data and study and time into them, it's a lot of work. And you have to ask yourself tough questions. You know, I have a I have a team of guys that we work with with Jerry and and Kyle and Doctor Kyle and all these guys, and we poke holes in these things. And so, first of all, kudos for doing them, but you can't be thin skinned if you're going to put them out there for free because people like you, people like me, we're going to ask questions. And don't get defensive. We're not saying your work is bad. We're just trying to understand your your point of view. I don't get. I'm not upset at what you said. I'm curious as to why you said it. And that's all mm-hmm. I want to know. I want to know what your thought process is. Maybe I can imply, uh, you know, apply some of that to mine. But there you go. There was your first bonus episode of Snarky with Josh Larky, co-host Memphis, here at the Dynasty Wars. And, well, Josh, man, this was a lot of fun. Great conversation. You're welcome back anytime. We'd love to have you come talk some Dynasty. Thank you for talking best ball with us. Awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah. Uh, appreciate it. Would love to be back on Dynasty well- Warzone. We'll, we'll do it again. We'll do it again. Well, listen, on behalf of that man, his name is Josh. You follow him at Josh Larky Tweets. My name is Memphis. You can follow me at DWZ Memphis. And remember, here at the Dynasty War Zone, we're just trying to make the world a better place for fantasy football. We'll see you back here real soon. Take care, everybody. Hey, fellow Warzone listeners. My name is Zach Camps. Uh, I'm not golfing or slinging my hands of monster. I'm usually thinking about Dynasty fantasy football. A couple months back, I joined the Patreon just to take my dynasty passion to the next level. And I'll tell you what, well, let's just say there's writer downers for days in the Patreon. As a member, you get access to the bonus pod where the guys take the filter off and talk about a wide variety of topics that maybe they won't cover on the normal show. You also get access to Memphis and Jerry for one-on-one advice, personal dynasty dilemmas. They'll tackle them for you, help you out with it. You just don't get that anywhere else. But I'd say... My favorite part about the Patreon is the uh, the group chat. Tell you what, these guys are some excellent minds. Tons of fun. The fire in there is amazing. Great platform to post trade questions, debate rookie values, share insight, interact with some cool people from across the globe. You know, shout out to those guys in Australia. 
they're blowing my phone up all the time. You know, the best part is there's no Twitter trolls or Facebook trolls arguing about stuff they don't know anything about. So uh, if you want to enjoy your dynasty experience even more, win those championships, pause the podcast right now, sign up, and you can thank me later in the group chat. And this segment is brought to you by ViridianGlobal.com, and that is the official apparel provider of the Dynasty Warzone merch. We have our t-shirts over there. We have our dad hats. We have our Jerry NWO themed hats. We have hoodies. We have Raglan's baseball season just kicking off. A Raglan is a baseball shirt where the body of the shirt is white and the sleeves are different colors. We've got some, some tank tops. We have our new working harder than an ugly stripper t-shirt, and so much more. This is the brainchild of myself and our graphics guru, Maddie, aka at Maddie Big Chest on Twitter. We have a ton of styles, and you want to head over there and check everything out. You simply go to Viridian Global, that is V-E-R-I-D-I-A-N Global, ViridianGlobal.com, search the Dynasty Warzone store, and man, you'll see all the t-shirts, hats, accessories, everything that we have available to you from a merch standpoint. They are a great sponsor, and we recommend you check them out today. That is the group over at ViridianGlobal.com. Thanks for checking them out. $1,000 for cool G, as we call it back home. Are you at liberty to play for that, Stanley? Would you prefer to play for smiles? 